There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land, and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures And it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support CanadaLand. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a CanadaLand supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, CAMH. It's never an easy call with so many problems in the world to know where to direct the money that you donate when you want to help out in this world. But what I can tell you is that when you donate to CAMH, you're saving lives. We know about the opioid crisis. We know about the mental health crisis. They are doing the work. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where no one is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help us treat addiction and build hope. I'd like to reintroduce you to Santai. My name is Santai Kemakeke. I am in Nairobi, Kenya. Santai is from Narok, a rural part of Kenya. But he went to high school in the big city, Nairobi. He says his life changed forever when he was still a teenager, when he had a chance encounter with a guy named Peter Ruhiu, who ran a charity called Free the Children, the Kenyan wing of We Charity Canada. Uh, we had two flat tires. And so when we got the second flat, I had to try and get a ride to the next small town to fix the spare wheel so that I can go and pick up my aunt and her family. And the person who stopped to help me was Peter Rohio, and he is the first country director for Free the Children. And we got talking, and interestingly enough, they were to go to my high school. I went to a good high school in Nairobi. They were to go the following Tuesday to interview people to take up a scholarship position. And they had tasked Free the Children to find a recipient of their scholarship from communities which they uh, do their work. And so it's just coincident and a few flat tires, and that's how I ended up in Oshawa. The scholarship took Santai all the way to Canada, to Ontario Tech in Oshawa. And that led to a job back in Kenya with Free the Children. He thrived there. Santai met his wife, Jody at Free the Children. He rose through the ranks. His boss once called him a, quote, giant within the WE Global team. Uh, when I left, I was senior director of stakeholder relations. It's like a government liaison position. In ranking, I would say just under the country director. Santai was also Mark Kilberger's right-hand man in Nairobi. Mark and Craig Kilberger, in one of their books, once praised Santai among employees that they considered the soul of Free the Children. Years after Mark Kilberger wrote that, he listened on the phone as another employee repeatedly threatened to kill Santai Kimakeki. I just don't get a fuck why Santai did that. I don't understand it. I did, don't understand it. Did you, t- did you chat with him? No, no, because, you know, right now, honestly, if I had a gun, I'd shoot the motherfucker dead right now. Okay. 
So I just, I don't know if I see Sunday what's going to happen, honestly. I don't know. Okay, well, Pete, maybe there was an error. I, I, I don't know what to say. I'm not sure. I don't, I, don't, I don't really know how these things work, so... It's not an error. Honestly, I could call my guys tonight and take care of this guy. I'm not even joking. He's not going to jeopardize my life, your life, a lot of people's life. Mark later accused Santai of being part of a plot to extort his charity. And Santai was fired for allegedly erasing a company laptop and other accusations. The charity called the police on Santai, who arrested and charged him. Santai in turn accused Mark Kielberger of serious misconduct, illegally transferring charity assets. Santai said that as a result of false allegations, his passport was flagged by the authorities, leaving him trapped in Kenya, half a world away from his wife and child in Canada, in hiding and afraid for his life. Santai knew about that recording you heard. He knew that a colleague had already threatened his life. In Kenya, it is common for witnesses to be eliminated in unrelated circumstances. And I was having a lot of friends and family having negative aura about my well-being. I was having nightmares. I had to check under the bed before I go to sleep if somebody was there. So I really, something inside of me was telling me that something bad was going to happen to me imminently. I knew that I'm a marked man and I would be looked for. Like, I truly believed that I would get hurt. Santai said that to me at the beginning of last July. He said that he was offered a deal that would let him reunite with his family. He said that he had been intimidated and pressured to sign some kind of a letter that they had written, but the charges were not dropped. And that meant he could not leave the country. And that's why he went public. We Charity calls Santai's website and his claims false. They sent me a signed confession with his signature on it, confessing to improperly accessing and altering documents and trying to harm the charity. In letters from their lawyer, We Charity threatened to sue Canada Land if we published what they called the illegally obtained material that they were sure Santai had given us. But Santai was unmoved. He said that the truth was on his side. It was all backed up with proof. And he was the one being falsely accused. He told us he would answer any questions we had in our work to tell his story. And then things changed. Right after we published our first report about him, Santai wiped all of his allegations off the internet. He publicly apologized to the Kilbergers for the negative attention and for sharing incorrect information. He recanted the words that he spoke to me on the recording that you've been hearing. When his wife Jody saw that he had recanted, she DM'd me that she was shocked and confused. She called his disavowal a, quote, crock of shit. And she told me that Kenya's Department of Foreign Affairs is now involved. And then she stopped responding to me. I had one last interview with Santai at the beginning of July when he said he was in hiding out of fear for his life. But he wouldn't tell me who he was afraid of. I asked him if he could talk to me about recanting. What exactly had he misled me about? Uh, The information I shared with you was inaccurate. And I'll be in touch. Santai, please hold the phone. Please, please talk with me. He hung up. And the fact that he recanted his allegations presented an incredible journalistic obstacle. What do you do when a source says they were lying, but you're not sure they're telling you the truth about lying? Well, in this case, what I did was I spent the next three months investigating, verifying documents from independent sources to make sure that they're legitimate, and trying to find other people involved who could verify or falsify what I'd been told. I worked with my team here, and in collaboration with a Kenyan journalist named John Allen Namu of the independent news organization Africa Uncensored. And then I asked We Charity and Mark Kilberger to respond to everything that we had found. Wait for it. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by 
It's not quite 7,000 people yet. It's not a huge group of people, but you are, those of you who support us, a pretty powerful and influential group of people because the journalism that you funded this year rocked this country more than any other year. The stories that we reported, the things that would not have otherwise been known if Canada Land hadn't reported them after lengthy investigation, these were international headlines. These were headlines in the New York Times. These were stories that touched our government at the highest level. And, you know, usually this time of year, crowdfunding month, I talk about how a small percentage of our audience pays for our entire audience to get our stuff. I don't even know how I would quantify that. You know, we're talking about tens of millions of people know about things because you funded it. We need you to go to canadaland.com slash join. Have a look at our new site. Have a look at the merchandise. Have a look at what we want to do with your money and support us. And this is an important part. Tell somebody when you support us. We have looked at this through the data. If you tell someone, it is akin to you giving us 50% more money. That's what it generates. If you already support us, this is a great time to tell the world why you support us. I'm going to do what I do every year at this time. I'm going to tell you what we plan to do if we hit our goals, what we plan to do with your support. I'm going to tell you what we want to give you, you know, the the stuff, the perks. We always kind of dream up some new things, and this year is no different. And I also have an announcement to make. I'm going to talk about maybe the project that we get asked about more than anything else. I've got some exciting news to reveal, and I'm going to get to all that. But before I do, this kind of missive every year, it's also a chance for us to kind of check in with you. And we do make this available to everybody. It goes out on all of our feeds because the people who support us, they want to know this stuff too often. It's where I check in and let you know how we see the work that we do and where we want to take it and kind of make sure that it's aligned with why you're funding us or why you might decide to fund us. You may have been noticing some changes around here. And not just the theme song music changing or the artwork to this show, our new website, which you can go check out right now. That's just the aesthetics of it. We've been making changes here to our Monday show. And uh, I want to just kind of explain a bit about how we've been thinking about it. And that's sort of how I like to do it. I mean, those of you who are funding us from the beginning know I don't like to say, give us money and then we'll do something. I like to kind of do it and demonstrate that we can do it and then tell you how we want to take it further. So we have been changing this show. Of course, this was envisioned as a media criticism show where we talk about the rest of the Canadian media. And we've been reflecting on that role because the media is in worse shape than I think it's ever been in Canada. The media is supposed to hold power to account. And I don't think there has ever been a time that I can remember where the media has been less of a factor in keeping power accountable, where the media has had less influence. I don't think that Justin Trudeau has much to fear. I don't think it's a partisan thing. I don't think Doug Ford has any reporters he really has to worry about. I think that some of this is Canadian stuff, that when there's a big, big crisis, everybody kind of falls into line. But it also is coinciding with the resources of media being just completely devastated. And it can get very easy to find fault with the media every week. And we will. And we do. And that's our core role is to keep an eye on the media itself. But our thinking about the work that we do here has increasingly been that we don't want to just be in a position of talking about what is deficient with others. We want to fill in those gaps. And on this show, you have heard us reporting about the occupation at Landback Lane. Maybe you heard that here before you heard that anywhere else, before Carl Dockstetter was arrested for his reporting and forbidden to continue that reporting. Our deep dive into the Epoch Times, a newspaper that may have shown up at your doorstep. That is something you heard about on this show. Our response to the pandemic, where we sat down and thought, all right, what is the very best we can do for our supporters here? And that included doing things like our cross-country COVID checkup, where we had people call in and just talk about their experiences in the early days of the pandemic, how it was affecting the media. It had to do with us doing original reporting, where Justin Ling went into the prisons and looked at how that population was completely at risk and the government was doing nothing, and now there's an outbreak. Uh, you may have heard that here first as well. But it's also meant things like the isolation interviews, where we just realize that we are in this position where people are welcoming us into their brains, into their homes at a time of tension and anxiety, and we could connect people and we could just talk about this in a different way. And Commons, of course, doing its incredible deep dive, devastating stories from long-term care, it goes across the network the way we've been trying to rethink our role. We also have been doing things that we have done for a long time, 
like talk to Andre Picard, the health reporter from the Globe and Mail, interview other journalists about their work, like Cash's incredible interview with Anna Mailer Paperni, that episode, What It's Like to Want to Die. We'll still do that. We still do that. We still talk about what's happening in our newsrooms, whether we're talking to Shri Paradkar or Adrian Harewood and trying to look at what's happening in the world through the lens of media. We continue to bring you those shows, but more and more, we are trying to bring you original reporting and really expand our notion of what this show can be. That report from Suresh Doss about how the pandemic is changing, how food is produced and distributed was one of my favorite episodes this past year. Really, the grand big idea here is that we want to make the very best current affairs slash news show in Canada. Nothing less than that. It's kind of open for somebody to do that. I don't know who's doing that kind of definitive show, the show you have to listen to. We want to expose you to more people, new voices that you haven't heard before, more correspondence. If we get a thousand new supporters or upgraded supporters. We're going to give you some very good reasons to increase your support if you already support the show. If we can get a thousand of you, we're going to boost our journalism. We are going to honor our journalists. We're going to make those resources available to make this work more sustainable. I have watched my colleagues here rise to the occasion and be equal to the moment of this global pandemic and give everything they have and leave nothing on the table and work themselves to the bone. And I want to honor them and support them one thing that's really suffered is just the joy of this work. Like there's nothing like a newsroom being around your colleagues, both just in terms of how much fun that can be, but also just when ideas are flying and people's contacts and input gets multiplied by other people overhearing. That's hard to do right now. We want to find every way we can to reinstate that and to bring more people into the fold, create opportunities for new people who want to start working with us. And in any way we can get that newsroom humming the way that it should. When people care about their work, you, you need to find other ways to support them. What we want to do, if we get 250 supporters past that, new or upgraded, we want a permanent French media beat as part of what we do here at Canada Land. We have received a tremendous response to our recent episode, The New Solitudes, with Emily Nicolas. And I can think of no greater addition to our coverage than to routinely plug people into what is happening with French language media in Canada and just destroy the wall that separates us from understanding and knowing about what's happening in these different worlds. And it's just fucking interesting stuff. And I want to make an ongoing permanent commitment to bringing you those stories as well. We have goals beyond that. We have already made a serious commitment to covering Indigenous issues in this country and hiring Indigenous journalists to do that. But we want to make a formal and permanent commitment to an Indigenous beat. And it goes on from there. If we can get the momentum that I think we can this year, we are looking at British Columbia. We're looking at Alberta, which is a news-starved province. We're looking at ways of telling stories that are like, it's incredible how much is going unreported in this country right now. I think we should have a permanent climate beat here at Canada Land. I think you're getting an idea of how we see ourselves growing as an organization. And that's really what I'm asking you to get behind. So there you go. That's the grand vision for the year ahead and, and, and beyond. I think with what we've done already, there's some credibility behind those plans. I also think that this is not merely a question as to whether or not it's about funding Canada Land specifically. Like I said, the media is in really rough shape, and I think it's just immediate that power starts to twist truth almost immediately. And, you know, you can listen to the show for examples of that any given week. You need to support something. And looking at the terrain in this country of what you can support, there are other options. But there are some things that are growing and flourishing and are imperfect, but are signs of life and hope. And I think that that's where you should direct your energy. I think that we have earned your support. And uh, now I want to tell you what we want to give you in exchange for it. As you've heard me say many times, it's never been easier to support Canada Land than it is now. And for everything I'm talking about, you want to go to canadaland.com slash join. And yeah, we got the URL. It's canadaland.com. Here's what you get. You can very quickly sign up for this show. Okay. You get this show with no ads, bonus episodes, things like that. But now, and for the first time ever, we're using the same technology to let you sign up to individual ad-free feeds for all of our shows. Not the way we did it in the past where there's one feed that's just like all of our shows through like one big fire hose. You can pick and choose from our entire network. Canada Land, Commons, Oppo, Cool Mules. There'll be new investigative work on that feed. Thunder Bay and the coming Niagara Falls show. All of our shows, Wag the Dug, everything on this network, no ads, for $9 plus socks. We have new socks and we do not have many of them, 
and they always go very quickly. You're going to want to look at these socks at canadaland.com slash join. And then it goes from there. We are now offering a duly noted notebook. These are beautiful Moleskine notebooks, foil stamped with the new Canada Land branding. Duly note what you will in your duly notebook and also get a t-shirt and a keychain and all of our shows ad-free for the low price of $14 a month. And it goes from there. You could get your name in the credits of one of our shows like Thunder Bay at a much higher price point than all of that. We have new designs for everything. Our team makes really good and high-quality stuff, and you should just go have a look at the stuff at canadaland.com slash join. Yes, we know that the reason why you do this is to support the work, is to support the journalism. And yes, we know that it's a nice little, I don't know, sign of our appreciation that we send you something like a T-shirt or a notebook. We want to go beyond that. So sometimes that's more transparency through bonus Ask Me Anything episodes. Commons has been airing interviews in full that they couldn't quite fit into their seasons. Basically, we just want to make it always pleasurable to be a Canada Land supporter and always be thinking of new things we can provide, be it uh, greater access through a Slack channel that we're thinking about, virtual events. We're thinking more of like a membership-based thing where we're just finding ways to add value to supporting us as we go along. Okay, now I promised you some exciting news, and here it is. We are ready to release the Return to Thunder Bay. In November, we're going to bring you three final episodes of Ryan McMahon's internationally acclaimed series on this troubled city. Ryan and team have returned to Thunder Bay. They'll be bringing you whatever resolution for the stories that we told you in the first season, and there is an incredible news story from Thunder Bay that they will be sharing with you. The trailer for Return to Thunder Bay is live right now. You can go and listen to it. If you're subscribed to Thunder Bay, it's waiting for you. If you're not, go subscribe to Thunder Bay. We're going to continue to bring you series like this. We brought you Cool Mules. We're going to bring you Niagara Falls on Thunder Bay's feed. We have other series planned. That is another aspect of what you are supporting when you support Canada Land. Listen, I appreciate you listening to this entire message. This is the month when we're asking. I'm asking. This is how we do this. It's the only way that we're going to have journalism going forward. I believe that. Okay, so be it. In the weeks ahead, in much shorter messages, I will tell you how we're doing. I have more announcements to make. You're going to be hearing from more team members. We are going to build this thing. We've come this far. We've got a long way to go. Thank you. Go to canadaland.com slash join. Hey, Jesse. Hi, Kasia. Okay, so you are pretty deep into all of this, all the details of the Kielbergers in Kenya. What have you been trying to figure out? I've been trying to figure out what happened to Santai. Is he okay? Why did he suddenly take everything that he'd said back and, and then go silent? And where is he? I mean, has he been able to get back to his wife and kid? That's the first thing I tried to figure out. And the second thing that I've been trying to figure out is whether or not his allegations were true about the financial transfers. I mean, Kasia, these finances, these assets in Kenya, Canadians have been donating to charity in Kenya through we for decades. And that's not just in the past. I mean, because, of course, when Mark and Craig Kilberger announced to Canadians in September... Uh, we're going to be announcing today that we're winding down We Charity here in Canada. And stepping down and selling off their $50 million in real estate here in Toronto. Well, the whole point, they told us was to keep the charity work around the world alive. We are going to be creating an endowment, an endowment to help ensure that some of our most important projects can be protected. In a bunch of countries, but especially in Kenya. A hospital in Kenya, a college, high school. Uh, we wanted to make sure that we were putting children first. So that's what I wanted to know. Did We Charity in Kenya illegally transfer assets? How does someone like you here in Canada figure out something like that? With help. I was able to get a lot of original source material myself, uh, bank records, private communications, contracts, uh, quite a bit of stuff, actually. I interviewed a lot of people involved who had firsthand knowledge of these events. But, Kasia, there's only so much that I'm going to be able to figure out about Kenya, a country I've never been to, from my desk here in Toronto during a pandemic. And just a lot of, like, local context and knowledge that I lack. So I found somebody to team up with. My name is John Allen Namu. I'm an investigative reporter and a co-founder of Africa Uncensored, which is uh, an investigative and in-depth uh, journalism company based here in Nairobi, Kenya. 
So what did John Allen find? The mother load. He came through with things that I would never have been able to get. John Allen has contacts in Kenyan government, in policing. He also helped me to understand the things that I had found. So this would not have been possible without him. And one last thing that uh, I want to say before we get into this story and tell this story. We Charity, they have responded. They've sent us detailed responses to every question that we've asked. Hundreds of pages of detailed responses, in fact. Now, my preference, this is a podcast. You're hearing my voice, right? So my preference is to hear theirs. My preference is for them to speak for themselves. And we've invited Mark Kielberger to simply sit down and, and just go through it all with me. And take us through these transactions, these very complicated financial maneuvers that he and his charities and the companies did as he sees fit. He did not accept that invitation. So what that means is that it's my job, uh, my responsibility to sort through all of their answers and represent them as best I can. Now, obviously, for a podcast, that means a lot of summarizing. So I'm going to do my best. But if anyone wants more detail to hear in their own words at length, what they said, you can find that in the article that is live right now on CanadaLand.com. Okay, so where does the story begin? In Kenya. In Kenya, uh, at breakfast, at a fancy hotel, back in the summer of 2016. The person who at the time was running the NGO Coordination Board gave a big speech. Fazul Muhammad. What the NGO Coordination Board does is it regulates and oversees charities. And there are a lot of charities from all over the world operating in Kenya. And what Fazul Muhammad says at this breakfast event is that from now on, things were going to change. They were going to crack down. They would be getting tough on foreign charities that come and set up shop in Kenya and hire Western expats instead of Kenyans. He said that these workers, they often lacked appropriate work permits, but nevertheless, they still got paid four to five times more than Kenyan employees. And he criticized these people for, uh, quote, getting rich from the charity sector. Now, the rules say that any NGO operating in Kenya should only hire a foreigner if they can't find a Kenyan with the skills to do the job. And what Fazul Muhammad said back in 2016 was that, that if NGOs don't start following that rule, they could lose their certification. Strong words. Scary words, if you happen to be one of the hundreds of Westerners who work at a Kenyan NGO. And four months after he gave that speech, Fazul Muhammad writes this letter directly to free the children. He wrote that the NGO board was rejecting their application for a work permit for one of their employees, a Canadian named Jody Collins, Santai Kimikeki's wife. He wrote this in all caps, kindly note that it's a criminal offense to engage in employment without a valid work permit or special pass. Kasha, that was far from the last letter that they received like that. Months later, Free the Children, they get another threatening letter from the NGO board, this time from a compliance officer named Stephen Magnancho. And uh, this time, they're flagging the charity for other things as well. I'll quote from this. Your organization is retaining a foreigner as an employee even after the rejection of her work permit. Your governance structure is wanting. He's flagging the fact that Free the Children, they filled their board of directors with their own employees. He went on. We have noted instances of regulatory mischief between Free the Children and other organizations affiliated to it. He signs off by saying, treat this matter as urgent. And, and it just keeps coming. Uh, the charity gets a letter from the NGO board's lawyer, also threatening them. The board notifies you of its intention to take legal action against you. Prosecution of the directors of Free the Children. Deportation of Jody or deregistration of Free the Children. So this is serious. Uh, he is saying that they could lose their NGO certificate over this, uh, and that, I think, could be the end of Free the Children in Kenya. And things get even worse. The pressure, uh, the scrutiny from the NGO board, the accusations. On March 8th, 2018, the NGO board tells Free the Children that somebody has uh, tipped them off. Uh, somebody has tipped off the NGO board to what seems like the most serious accusation yet. I'll quote from this. 
It has come to the attention of this office that the organization is in the process of disposing of land to the organization's chairman without consent. The organization's chairman was Mark Kilberger. So, Kasia, this is one of the things that our investigation reveals, that there are all of these threats and it's after Free the Children starts to get all of these threats that they begin transferring their assets. And, and by assets, I'm talking about the stuff you see in their brochures, the hospital they built, we college, uh, a farm, high schools, all of these buildings and all of the land that they own that are underneath these buildings. The movement of those assets out of their NGO came after the NGO board threatened and accused them and said that their charitable license itself was at stake. And where they transferred them to was to a private company in Kenya. And that private company then signed a trust agreement, a contract to hold all of those assets in trust for We Charity Canada. So think about this, Kasia. We have been hearing from the brothers Kilberger about how We Charity Canada is going to be giving everything that they have left over after the selling off process, after this winding down, to Kenya and other countries. And it turns out that over the last three years, they've actually been moving things the other way, out of Africa, out of Kenya, and into the beneficial ownership of We Charity Canada. Which is winding down. Which is winding down. See? It's just that simple. So what does the NGO board end up doing about all this? Nothing. I mean, it's weird. Here's John Allen to explain this. There had been correspondence uh, fairly early on, um, 2016 onwards, where the NGO board seems to be investigating Free the Children. Uh, And um, these complaints kept on coming up and then subsiding and coming up and then subsiding. Because, for instance, in one instance, um, they talked about the, the, the movement of these assets, right? But then they'd go quiet after a while. There was no documentation stating why. So these guys would be investigated, then cleared, then reinvestigated, then cleared. So what you see in the file, you know, the NGO board's file on Free the Children that John Allen obtained for us, a thousand pages of files, there's this pattern. It's a pattern of detailed accusations, strongly worded and specific threats. And then the next document is like, everything is in order. Free the children is compliant and in good standing. Everything's fine. And and Kasia, what you don't see in the file is the part in between that would explain how the NGO board's concerns and allegations were dealt with or satisfied. I mean, there's one instance uh, concerning the transfer of vehicles where you see that process of how they they ask for permission to transfer the vehicles and they provide all this documentation and then they're given permission. But with all the land transfers and the building transfers, none of that. Long story short, there's something there in the relationship between the NGO board and Frida Children that I found a little off. And, um, you know, just having spoken to some of the people who worked or consulted for the NGO board, that specific file was very, very closely guarded, right? I wondered why it was being so closely guarded. But to to the kind of stuff that was going on within the file itself, as documented within the file, it's highly suggestive that there were other conversations that were going on that perhaps couldn't be captured or shouldn't have been captured because of the nature or, you know, exactly the, the point of those those conversations. So what does he mean, other conversations? Well, luckily, kind of incredibly, actually, we have an actual recording of a conversation that I think is highly relevant here. Now, listeners might remember this from our first story about the Kielbergers in Kenya last summer. This is a recording that Mark Kielberger made. At the beginning of the recording, Mark Kielberger actually offers this uh, introduction as to what he is recording. Just about to have a call with Peter Ruyo. Um, he has asked me to call him regarding NGO board issues. It's fucking up in layoff. Um, if you get the head of compliance. Yeah. So, and about it, he can do whatever fucking wants because, you know, he can do whatever he wants. Mm-hmm. Why is this a concern? Concern? Mark, this is, this, I mean, uh, we're just about to finish. Um, yeah, 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 I understand. Yeah, you know, we're just about to finish everything. You know, they are already taking, of course, a huge chunk of cash. And I told him that's what, you know, and he'll tell his team, that's why I took 
eight hours and all over Nairobi uh, to get that money. I don't know what the hell they'll come back to us with. I have no idea. Mm-hmm. Are they going to play ball? Who knows? Who knows? Mm-hmm. You know, it's not about the money, you know, not just about the money, we'll pay the money, but you know, we obviously, we're true to our one. Mm-hmm. Okay. No, 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 Pete. I appreciate the phone call. It's, this is obviously mission critical, so I, I get it. Yeah, mission, yeah, mission critical, and also our lives are right now. Some bureaucrat has our lives in his hands. He can fucking do whatever he wants. So, what am I supposed to make of all that? Yeah, there's a lot going on in that conversation, and it's not so easy to understand. We transcribed the whole thing, and we explained the context as best we could on our website. The important part for right now, and why I'm replaying this phone call that we first played for listeners in July, is that what Peter is talking about with his boss, Mark, in that conversation, in that recording, is bribery. The bribery of an NGO board official. We know the conversation is about the NGO board because that's what Mark says at the beginning. Then we hear Peter talk about giving a compliance officer named Steve a huge chunk of cash. You'll remember the name Stephen Monyancho from one of those NGO board letters. We can't say for certain that Stephen Monyancho and Steve are the same uh, NGO board person. But what you hear is Peter talking about how hard it was to get Steve to take the money. And he talks about how their NGO, its relationship with the NGO board uh, was okay, but now it's gotten messed up. And and he, he warns Mark Kilberger that if they don't fix this, the police, uh, the Kenyan tax authorities, the entire Kenyan government is going to come crashing down on their operations. And he says, a bureaucrat has our lives in his hands. But Peter also presents Mark with a plan of how they can fix things. Peter says, you know, he'll set up another meeting with the NGO board and Mark will attend. That's Peter's plan. So backing up, Kasia, to what John Allen was speculating about, there were obviously conversations that are not recorded in their official NGO board file that might give us some insight into why the NGO board was so threatening and then all of a sudden they call off their dogs and this happens in a repeating pattern. Well, I think that this phone recording is a relevant thing to consider in that context. It is very important to note that Mark Kilberger has given us his side of the story about that recording, and it is very different. He says that the reason why he made that recording was because he had been investigating Peter Ruhiu for stealing from the charity. And it was the police who asked him to make that call. And he furthermore says, and and this we should be also very clear about, that he never bribed any officials in Kenya and that he has never been involved with any bribery in Kenya. And how do we know if that's normal stuff in Kenya? Let's ask John Allen. Well, this is Kenya. Um, And and in as much as I love my country, corruption is a huge problem um, in this country. And um, it, it would not be outside the realm of possibility for someone within the NGO board to be bribed. There have been whispers about um, the NGO board being bent to the will either of the government or someone else in the past. You know, nothing that has really come out in terms of substance, but I, I, it wouldn't surprise me. And Kasia, you were able to get us a comment on that from the former chief justice of the Supreme Court of Kenya, Willie Matunga. He told us that the NGO board, quote, has been accused of corruption over years. He said, the NGO board lacks robust capacity. It lacks independence. I would say NGOs, particularly international ones, can get away with anything. And he praised our investigation and said, quote, I look forward to its dissemination all over the world. Can we get back to this asset transfer thing? You're still trying to figure out if they illegally transferred charity assets, right? Yes. So to the question, did they transfer charity assets? Yes, they did. Was that illegal? Depends who you ask. And it also depends on when you ask. Now, if you ask the Kenyan government via the NGO board that regulates these things in 2018, if you ask them that question which Mark Kielberger did ask them. We, we have the email where he asked them straight up, what are the legalities? What are the rules for transferring charity assets? Their answer was firm. 
not without our permission. You need our approval and you need our oversight. We need to be able to monitor it. The thing is, Kasia, when Mark Kilberger asked them that question and got his answer, his charity had already been transferring charity assets for months. And Free the Children kept right on doing it afterwards. So if the NGO board has oversight over Kenyan charities, how did they allow one to move most of its assets out of Kenyan ownership? Well, in order to allow it, they would first have to know about it. In 2018, which is the year that most of these transfers, these disposals of assets took place, well, at the end of that year, it comes time for Free the Children to file its annual 2018 report with with the government, with the NGO board. And there is a line in the form that they have to fill in, which says land assets, how much you got. So what do they put? A false number. The same exact number that they put in there in 2017, before most of the transfers took place. So you would have no idea from this annual report that they had disposed of any land. And how do they explain that? They acknowledged the number was wrong. They, they said it was a mistake. They told me their returns that year were, quote, not fully up to date. And of course, I also asked them, well, why did you keep transferring charity assets after the NGO board told you that you needed their permission for that? And their initial answer was, essentially, we kept doing that because we disagreed with them. We got our own legal opinion from our own lawyers, and our lawyers told us that, no, we didn't need prior approval from the NGO board at all. And so that was their position. Um, that was their position when they initially did this, when they got that opinion from their lawyers years ago. And that remained their position just recently uh, when this month they sent us answers to all of our questions. All right, Jesse, I'm going to ask you once again, is this all normal? And I'll tell you again, I don't know from normal when it comes to uh, charities in Kenya. So I asked a couple of people who do. Nicholas Moyer the president of Cooperation Canada, which is a national association representing over 90 international development and humanitarian organizations. That includes Oxfam, Amnesty International, the big ones. Now, he was comfortable speaking to the best practices in the NGO sector in general terms. Uh, this is not a typical process, that's for sure. Shifting control from one actor to another in the middle of a program is certainly not a common practice. We should all be seeking to comply with local laws and regulations at all times. And in the case of Kenya, the NGO board is the mandated body that regulates the actions of uh, NGOs, domestic or foreign, uh, that operate on their soil. But then, Kasia, Mark Kilberger last week sent an email to the new head of the NGO board. And he asked this guy, can you confirm that our transfers in 2018 were approved? And the new head of the NGO board confirmed that. Furthermore, We Charity sent us a letter from the governor of Narok County, who said that the asset transfers were, quote, overseen by government agencies and complied with all legal requirements. So to sum up, in 2018, there were things happening here that a government office thought were illegal. Today, who can argue with the governor of Narok County and the current president of the NGO Coordination Board? They say everything's fine. So what eventually happened with Peter Rehu? Well, it's interesting how this all connects together because I asked We Charity, okay, so if the reason that you transferred all of these assets was not to get them away from the NGO board, this, this board that kept threatening you and scrutinizing you and pressuring you and saying they were going to litigate you and deregister you, well, then what is the reason? And they answered that the reason, essentially, was to get these assets away from Peter Ruhiu. They gave us two answers, actually, for the transfers. One was like a technical legal thing. They said that some of the land needed to be transferred because uh, they technically, as a charity, weren't allowed to own agricultural land. But that doesn't cover many of the assets. So the answer that they gave us that covers all the transfers is... Um, that they, they found financial irregularities, they investigated these irregularities uh, with the help of investigators and others and researchers, and they confirmed that the culprit was their country director, Peter Ruhiu. He had been stealing from them, and they needed to transfer their assets out of their NGO for that reason. 
Why not just fire him? I mean, they did eventually, but not for months. And yeah, it's not clear to me why keeping this alleged fraudster and thief around as their most senior person, the guy running the show in Kenya, why would that be safer for their assets than just immediately firing him? But uh, I don't know. They said all of this happened on the, on the up and up with the knowledge and advice of the police. Various experts and investigators were advising them. And uh, everybody was on board for this period of over seven months, seven months after the phone call with Mark Kielberger, where it appears that he's talking about bribing government officials to Mark Kielberger, and during which he also makes these repeated death threats against Santai, over seven months go by and they keep him in his position. I mean, Santai keeps working underneath him. They see each other at work. And We Charity gave us uh, another reason as to why they might make a decision like that. And they say that they were trying to protect Peter Ruhiu's wife, uh, who is now his ex-wife, and their children. They allege to Canada Land that Peter Ruhiu was an abusive spouse. And his spouse was then and is now a We Charity employee. So what We Charity says is that they had to somehow untangle this delicate situation where they've got to get his wife and her kids to safety. And, and they provided a statement from her that essentially backs up that version of events. I was able to reach Peter Ruhiu on the phone to ask for his side of this. He would not answer our questions. And I don't know what to tell you. I mean, you know, just sticking to the facts, a number of the asset transfer documents have Peter Ruhiu's signature on them. So if they were moving charity assets to protect them from Peter, well, that's something that Peter helped them with for some reason. And as for what's happened to him uh, personally since, I mean, to summarize it, they investigated him. Um, they say they confronted him with irrefutable evidence and that he confessed on the spot after being presented with this evidence. And he just decides before criminal charges are laid against him, no civil suit. The evidence compels him to just return the funds. Uh, he does end up getting criminally charged. His wife divorces him, takes their kids to Canada, and that is where she is now. Now, Kasia, at one time, Peter Ruhiu told a very different version of these events. And if people want to read about that, it is covered in detail in our story on, on the website, where you can also read about these text messages sent from Mark Kilberger that we have obtained, and they concern the effort to get Peter Ruhiu arrested. These are pretty disturbing documents. We have them. We have We Charity's explanation for the meaning of them. And that is also on the article that you can find at CanadaLand.com. That it? I mean, it goes on and on. Uh, there's a whole other thing about who Peter Ruhiu returned this allegedly stolen money to. Uh, we obtained the bank records and they show that he didn't return this money to the charity. He didn't return it to free the children. He returned hundreds of thousands of dollars to a company owned by Mark Kielberger. We Charity says that the reason for this is that it was this other company that paid for the investigation into Peter Ruhiu and, and other related expenses. So it had to be paid back. And anything left over, uh, this company was holding in trust for the charity and the company was one of their social enterprises. It wasn't Mark Kielberger's personal company. You can read about all of that on our website as well in the article. Besides denying any wrongdoing, how has We Charity responded to you? Well, after we sent our questions, uh, we got another letter from their lawyer. The word caution was in there. A and then something happened half a world away. Somebody approached our colleague at Africa Uncensored, John Allen. John Allen agreed to talk to this person, and uh, in that conversation, he comes to understand that this person claims to be working on behalf of Mark Kilberger. Then the guy hands John Allen papers, and it's the list of questions that I had sent to We Charity and to Mark Kilberger, unpublished questions. And what this guy suggests to John Allen is that he should seriously consider killing the story that he's been working on with us. I asked John Allen what reason was given to him as, you know, why he would want to do that. What's always in it for a journalist that, that kills a story? Money. It was implied that, you know, this, this could benefit me um, in some way if the story didn't, you know, didn't make it. The, yeah, it, it seemed fairly clear that 
the, the benefit to me would be monetary. This person said, look, uh, you know, Mark, Mark seems to be desperate. And in desperation, there's opportunity. In desperation, there's opportunity. Hmm. Yeah. I asked We Charity if Mark Kilberger or We Charity hired somebody to approach John Allen on Mark Kilberger's behalf. They did not respond. Well, Jesse, is there any update on what's happening with Sante Kimikeki? Back in July, he was recanting his allegations, afraid for his life, unable to reunite with his wife and kids. Any news there? I'm afraid that Sante is still in Kenya, but I, I do have some updates on his status. I'm going to present a sequence of facts about this. Earlier this month, we sent We Charity uh, an extensive list of bracing questions for this investigation. And these questions revealed to We Charity just how much we had learned about them. After that, our colleague in Kenya, John Allen, he hears that Mark Kilberger, after receiving our questions, is in Nairobi. He got our questions and he got on a plane during the pandemic and flew to Nairobi. We Charity sends us a new statement from Santai. He's recanting the things that he told us once again. Only this time, it's not general as, as it was the first time. This time, he's giving very specific refutations, recantations that speak to some of the very same things that are questions to we concern. And, and then, after our article comes out on our website, Santai's Twitter feed comes back to life. And now that our article is out and its contents are public knowledge, Santai is going kind of point by point and saying, you know, I recant what I told you about this. I wasn't being honest with you about that. All of this, of course, making me very, very glad that we took the time and effort to find other sources and independently verify all of the documents that we had. Anyhow, there is one final fact in this sequence of facts, uh, and that is that we learned that the criminal charges against Santai Kimikeki were being withdrawn. We Charity suggested to us that, you know, we shouldn't make too much of that. It's, it's because they can't send witnesses to Kenya to testify against him during the pandemic. They can always reinstate the charges later if they want to. But, you know, just to review the sequence of facts, Canada Land sends We Charity questions. Mark Kilberger goes to Kenya. Santai doubles down on his discrediting of himself. And then the charges against Santai were being withdrawn. And what can I say? You know, I truly hope that he is reunited with his family soon. I mean, I'll tell you the truth. I'm not sure we succeeded in boiling this all down into a straightforward narrative. Well, this is the we organization, you know. I mean, Craig Kilberger himself called their structure a labyrinth. But what are people supposed to take from all of this? I'm not going to tell people what to think. You know, I, I, I think that our reporting puts a lot of facts on the record that nobody knew about before. And I think our listeners can reach their own conclusions. I do have, you know, my own reflection about this. I mean, this is the part that I keep thinking about. You know, after speaking with so many people who just lived through this and knew everybody involved, I keep thinking about the relationships. You know, like Peter Ruhiu, he wasn't just an employee of Mark Kilberger's. They, they were friends. He was there from the beginning of their operations in Kenya, and he married a colleague from the WE organization. When, when Mark and Roxanne would come to Kenya, you know, Peter and his wife lived in a house that the Kilbergers owned. You know, the four of them would socialize together. And, and it extends to Santai as well. Like Santai, you know, from when he was a high school student, that's when he first gets involved. They, they are involved in his scholarship. They give him his job. You know, he also marries somebody in the organization. All of these people are kind of like part of this, the same like philanthropic family, this we organization family. They, they knew each other intimately. And when you talk about Peter and Santai, you're talking about guys who work for a charity. You're talking about husbands. You're talking about dads. You're talking about guys with good jobs, you know, careers. You know, neither of these guys had a criminal record. And then both of them, independent of one another, are accused of committing these crimes. Crimes against Mark, crimes against the charity. Peter decides to become a thief. Santai decides to get involved in this extortion attempt. That's the allegation. And it doesn't go well for either of them. They both end up losing their jobs, uh, money. They both end up separated from their wives and, and children. And nobody has really explained to me in a way that makes sense why they would do that. You know, beyond simple greed, 
How did they become criminalized? Why? Why would they risk everything and, and commit these crimes? And maybe they did, or maybe one of them did. But any way you look at this, from the point of view of any of these people involved, this is a story about an extraordinary level of betrayal. And I got to say, in the We Charity version of this story, I mean, maybe this is just to state the obvious, but in that version of the story, the bad guys of the story are both black Kenyan men. And the good guys and the victims are all white Canadians who came to Kenya to help. You know, Kasia, I think we've reached the end of uh, at least the part of this that we're going to get to today. I do want to leave our listeners because you and I just learned that there is uh, a small news development that has hit uh, just as we were finishing this episode. The NGO board, they issue this official statement to the press about Free the Children. They will soon be taking a look into some regulatory and governance matters about Free the Children, including their assets and officials in view of new information. And what we confirmed elsewhere is that this is happening because of, of press attention. This is happening because of questions that we sent, uh, possibly questions that other media sent. And maybe I should feel that that means that we've accomplished something. But I got to tell you, I, I, I kind of uh, met that news with a bit of a shrug, Kasia, because like they're taking a look at Free the Children. That reminded me of uh, the RCMP earlier in this scandal when the RCMP said that they were looking into We Charity. They were not opening an investigation into We Charity. They were looking. I am not the only person who is a little bit nonplussed by that. Mark Bloomberg, who is a charity lawyer, is with the firm Bloomberg Siegel LLP, he said on Twitter, at some point we will realize a public inquiry is needed to investigate the operations of We Charity. Thanks, Jesse. Kasia, thank you. That is your Canada land. If you liked it, if you like anything that we do, now is the time. I'm asking. Click the link in your show notes or go to canadaland.com slash join to see everything that we have for you. It takes moments and we need your help. You can email me at jesse at canadalandshow.com. I read everything you send. We're on Twitter at CanadaLand. Our website is now CanadaLand. That's it. Just CanadaLand.com. Our senior producer is Kasia Mihailovich. Additional reporting by John Allen Namu of Africa Uncensored. Additional production by Rosalind Kufour. Our managing editor is Andrea Schmidt. Our theme music is by So Called. Syndication is handled by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at CFUV.ca. If you like what we do, please support us. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures and it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada land. We need you to and so for this month and this month only, you can become a CanadaLand supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com join. And thank you. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. A couple of years ago, a cop was shot dead on a deserted pier in the tiny nation of Belize. The only other person there that night was a frightened young woman found covered in blood. By all appearances, it was an open and shut case. 
but not in Belize, where this woman was connected to a mysterious billionaire who basically runs the place. Justice will not be served in this case. She's going to get away with it. Or will she? White Devil, a Campside Media original. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.